There's something not right here. I feel cold. That place is strong with the dark side of the force. A domain of evil it is. Then you must go. What's in there? Only what you take with you. Your weapons. You will not need them. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 447, Caves in Star Wars. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Yoda to my Luke Skywalker, we've got Carl LeClaire. Mm, glad to be with you, I am. Oh, hi, Jason. Oh, Yoda just popped in. I don't even I didn't even realize he was here. Um, I don't know. I mean, he, he just showed up. It's like he does, you know. <laughs> Force Ghost and all that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason, I have missed you. It's been like a couple of weeks without doing shows with you because we did want to, geez, it feels like forever ago. And then I had all these backlogged episodes talking Ghostbusters, annoying people on a Star Wars show. Um, but <laughs> I am so glad to be back with you this week. And we are not alone. We are so lucky to have with us um, a very special guest, first time ever on the show, although she's been a longtime listener. I am happy to introduce Caroline Carter. She is a PhD student currently studying archaeology on ancient Greek and Romans at the University of Virginia. Specifically, she's writing her dissertation on caves at places of worship in the area around Athens and Greece in the years of 800 to 300 BCE. Caroline, welcome to the Wampus Lair. So glad to have you with us. Hi guys, I'm so so excited to be here. Um, like I was telling you guys before the show started, like I've been a long time listener. I really love the in depth conversations that you guys get into and with your special guests as well. So I'm excited that we can have one ourselves tonight. And on my favorite thing, caves. So combining my two, you know, loves, caves and Star Wars. So um, I'm really excited. <laughs> Well, before we get into our whole conversation around caves and Star Wars, can you like specify a bit more about what it is exactly you're studying, um, what your PhD is after, and, and you know, kind of the specificity of of your your cave programming, and, and, and why caves? Yes. <laughs> Great question too. Yeah, Jason. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, I'm a third year PhD student. Um, getting my uh, PhD specifically in um, archaeology, Mediterranean archaeology in the art department at the University of Virginia, like you said. Um, but I specifically do classical archaeology, so which is the study of the ancient Greeks and Romans. So I've been doing that, you know, since I was an undergrad and then I received my master's and now, you know, I'm getting my PhD. So I've been studying, you know, these cultures for a while. 
Um, but caves, I, I've always been interested in religions and, you know, world religions, ancient religions, mythology. And then on one of the first excavations I attended when I was 19 in Israel, we went to a site on an, like an excursion, like on a field trip to a site called Banyas. And they had this giant sanctuary to Pan, which is, it's like, it's a giant cave. And so Pan, if you don't know, is he's a part human, part goat god, uh, especially in ancient Greece. And then he kind of spread throughout the Mediterranean during the expeditions of Alexander the Great um, and the spread of Hellenism. And, and in this cave, like my dig director was telling us that they had all these sa animal sacrifices and ritual meals and all these statues of Pan and his human goat form would have been around. And I just thought this was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. Like, I, you know, that's just wild to think about that this happened. And so that that kind of stuck in my mind since then. And then when I started thinking about my dissertation, I like caves are really understudied in my discipline. And, and they're especially in terms of thinking about the the people who went there to worship and just their overall contribution as sacred places to the study of ancient Greek religion. So I kind of just was talking to my advisor and she was like, we should look at caves again, like introduce them into the discussion um, and not focus so much on these big temples that you may have heard of in ancient Greece. So um, I kind of just started doing that. And so I've been as part of my, you know, even though I'm focusing on ancient Greece, um, since it's understudied, I've been reading more widely about caves as sacred places across time and across the globe. So that's kind of what I'm going to be bringing in today is just some of these influences that I thought of that may have contributed to Star Wars, or at least there are some parallels that we can draw out. That's awesome. I'm so excited. Really yeah. <laughs> so like, we'll just be up front. Jason and I, this is again where we have the luxury of just kind of sitting back and letting someone else be the expert <laughs> because, uh, yeah, Caroline sent us some pretty dope notes. Uh, and it's so obvious that you're a, you're like doing your dissertation because every note you made had like four sources. It's <laughs> just like, this is amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, like those sources. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for already all the work you've you've put into this. And we're super excited to just uh to delve into the caves with you. And you will obviously be the candle bearer and Jason and I'll stumble through the dark as we follow. So yeah. <laughs> um, no, it'll be great. It it will. But uh yeah, well before we get into the the conversation on caves specifically, we had a uh, a poll for all of you from a couple of weeks back where we asked you who your favorite bounty hunter was. And a lot of you gave wrong answers, which is fine. Um <laughs> but uh Jason, where where did folks uh get this wrong? I mean, where did they land? Where where did folks err? Is that what you're asking? Yes, of um, course. Yeah. Well, well, fair enough. Um, although I think you might be wrong here. Uh, Sadly. With, uh, in fifth place with one vote each, we've got Fennec Shand, High Singer, IG-88, Sugi, Bosk, IG-11, Dengar, Zuckus, we know who uh, that vote came from, and uh, Jazz Imari, who is Sugi's um, niece, or daughter, excuse me, I think, from the um, Aftermath trilogy. Um, yes. In fourth place with two votes, we've got Asajj Ventress, because she was a bounty hunter for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, in third place with three votes each, we have Embo and Boba Fett. Yep, Boba Fett's in third. That was strange. Um, because yeah. in second place with four votes is his dad, Django. 
And then in first place with 11, um, Cad Bane. So, (laughs) (laughs) yes. I want to say, though, I think like six or seven of those misspelled Embo. So that's okay. Um, But that's okay. It still doesn't doesn't overtake Cad Bane. Damn it. (laughs) 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 Oh, I know. Yes. Yes. Well, obviously, Jason and I, two weeks ago, uh, well, we shared our favorite moments. We didn't share our favorite bounty hunter per se, but Caroline, I knew you came yeah. in on, on Cad Bane. Any particular reason why you, you chose the wrong answer? Um, very strongly about Sorry, Embo. I just love Embo. <laughs> That's totally fair. I, I don't know. He's just, he's just really cool, Cad Bane. I mean, he's unusual. The hat, I mean, the whole cowboy look, it's, it's yeah. iconic. You yeah, know, you know his hat definitely. Can't his his can't his hat can't deflect blaster bolts. I just want to point that out. Um, That's true. But you know who can? Embo. So cooler. So, I mean, so what? what was it? I was just no. It's fine. It's fine. This is a battle I will never win. <laughs> no, no, no. You won't. The, uh. These are the snow. Pl- the Embo is my snow planes on Hoth that I will forever dig in on. <laughs> so there you go. Fair um, enough. So, oh, well, as but always, yeah. yeah, thank you everyone for, for participating in the poll. We'll have a, a fun matchup for you at the end of the episode. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. Y'all feel like going into some caves? Let's, uh, let's got my headlamps and we're ready to go spelunking. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Um, so Caroline, so- you, you, yeah, go ahead, Jason. I keep cutting you off. Where are we starting? Like, uh, I know you, you know, you mentioned that you, you're specific, specifically uh, studying caves in terms of a, mm-hmm. a religious aspect. Is that where we're going to start uh, then? Um, well, I was thinking I we could start at the beginning of my research into this. And then I think that will kind of develop. It'll explain kind of where my head's going. And then we can we can talk about that a little bit more because I think it'll make sure. sense. So, so. Um, I don't know. Like you, Jason, and I was like caves like I've never thought about scenes with caves in star wars before even though you know i'm interested in it when um carl and i first started talking about doing this topic so basically what i did was i went through and just thought about all of these scenes because i have seen clone wars and rebels too so i was thinking about which scenes and i made a list first of all and then okay i thought how could i could i divide these into themes and so i came up with three themes and there are caves, and we've also, like, included some, like, cave-like structures or, you know, uh, cave-esque structures that we could talk about because there are some important themes we could draw out. But I came up with these three themes that are Force-sensitive caves, um, caves as home for monsters, and then also caves as a symbol of the feminine. Um, so, yeah, within that, there's about eight caves, eight or nine caves that... Um, we came up with so um the force sensitive caves being the biggest one you know thinking about dagobah and also the you know crystal caves on ilum things like that um so we could start there if you wanted to sounds like a plan to me let's do it okay so within this like the force sensitive caves i'll just tell you the ones that they're four yeah four and then we could you know just break them down as you know the discussion flows but there's the Cave of Evil on Dagobah, right, which we see in the Empire Strikes Back and also in the Clone Wars. The Mirror Cave that Rey visits um, on Octu in The Last Jedi. 
as I mentioned, the crystal caves on Ilum, and also we could add the caverns under the Jedi Temple on Lothal that appears in Rebels. Um, so those are the ones I came up with. Uh, I I can't think of any other force sensitive caves off the top of my head. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, obviously, Carl, the big one <laughs> is uh, the one on Dagobah, the one that kind of starts us all thinking about caves when we think Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So I know Carl would love to, I think, uh, go there personally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it, it's, you know, whenever I, in the past with my work, whenever I can put in a request for like a retreat weekend for my profession to pay for, I always request for a retreat on Dagobah and they're always like, where's that? And I was like, yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, uh, in, like, well, like, somewhere, you know, <laughs> Well, maybe just as a um, just as like a, a, a piece of grounding information, Caroline, to just before mm-hmm. we even start having the conversation specifically about these force sensitive caves, um, can you just say a little bit about the importance of caves as spiritual slash religious space? You know, even just from your own research in you know within our own human cultures, how are caves kind of reflective of some sort of spiritual religious movement? Yeah. Um, I mean, caves, I mean, just thinking about us as people and our ancestors of like early humans, I mean, caves are, we're dwelling places, um, you know, as far back as we can go because, I mean, they provide shelter. They often have like a constant temperature just because of the, the physical, you know, geological makeup of the cave. So you have a lot of, um, you know, stability and knowing it's constant all year round. Um, usually people occupied the the front of the cave because that's where, you know, it's not as dark there. You can have your fire and, you know, your smoke won't like, you know, suffocate you. But it's in the deep parts of the cave that usually where these mystical kind of foundations are arising in like our terms of like in just the human imagination and kind of connecting to that mystical aspect. So if you think about in like Neanderthal, or early Homo sapien sapien like cave art when you have the handprints and then they would like blow the paint out of like this tube and that's how the the handprints would show up on these cave walls and you also have like depictions of animals those are usually happening in these really dark part of the caves and so like the predominant theories are by these by scholars who study this is that these were part of sh- uh, shamanistic rituals so trying to connect to this otherworldly sphere. And, you know, bring that forth into, you know, the the own world that these people were experiencing. But you could connect it all the way back. So caves, you know, since then, I mean, numerous religions, they're important in ancient Greece. Pan was worshipped there, as I mentioned. So sh- that's connected to shepherding. Um, so usually, you know, you think about these people who have their um, flocks of sheep and they're traveling up and down the mountains with them. You know, they're grazing. You need a place to um, stay, to have shelter as you're doing that. And that's how I think some of these rituals would develop is that, um, you know, you're concerned about your sheep. You're concerned about yourself. This is your livelihood. And um, so having some of these rituals to a god of shepherding would ensure the the safety of your animals that you're, you're protecting. And, you know, women, too. There are caves to the nymphs in Greece, um, which is just the nymphs are kind of oversee young women in their transition as they get married one day. So again, thinking about like economics and livelihood, 
But, um, you know, Buddhism is important, um, too. In this discussion of caves, there are numerous caves where these, like, aesthetic individuals would go to have this self-revelation. It's also in Christianity and Taoism, which is a Chinese, ancient Chinese religion that is still practiced today. So this has a long-standing, you know, caves have a long-standing significance as places of, of religious worship and self-revelation. Um, and I, but I think that has gotten lost in, especially in, you know, American and modern culture where kind of these, these places of religion are focused in, you know, actual buildings, not so much in nature. And also mountains are a part of this as well. Mountains are very important as religious places. Um, and so we've kind of lost this connection, but actually it's a very old concept. So w- would you say it's safe to say that um, the kind of worship that, you know, uh, a cave, you know, might help uh, facilitate um, is something that is easily accessible by people of all, le- uh, you know, stat- statuses in life then, you know, not mm-hmm. necessarily restricted to, you know, higher class people who would be the only ones to go into the temple or something like that. So it's yes. accessible mm-hmm. to everyone. So, mm-hmm. It is. Okay. And it can, it can be, so basically what I, I kind of was talking about, I was mixing, you can have like different groups of people. So like a community in maybe ancient Greece would go and do actual rituals, like make physical offerings and like sacrifices. So that's like a, a community religious act. And then you can also have these um, individualized self-discovery ventures to caves where you're kind of, you know, doing more like psychological or mystical things with your mind and so um those are kind of two avenues so more so on you know the second thing i was talking about this idea of self-revelation is what's more so happening in star wars um but both of them yeah it, it just depends but um it's pretty open and it's yeah it's not access isn't as restricted um so yeah great nice so yeah well well then you know going down apparently into the cave on Dagobah. I always find that just fascinating as, as you watch that scene. You know, you never really see the entrance. The I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of like Luke, but Luke goes down into the ground. I mean, that's that first shot we see of him is he's he's descending, which I think mm-hmm. is on purpose, right? Like he's he's descending into into the depths of the earth itself uh, to have, as you were just talking about, kind of this self revelation moment. Um, you know, just, you know, how do you break down what's going on on Dagobah? What is, what is Luke going there for? What's, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. this is a moment of profound personal revelation for him. And it's, you know, it's, it's been one of those scenes in Star Wars that's been talked about for 40 years and people still have, you know, different interpretations of it. Um, Irvin Kirshner and George Lucas have different interpretations of this Mm -hmm. scene. Um, so curious, like, you know, how do you understand this, this, this idea of this kind of underground cave where Luke has to confront essentially what he's most afraid of? Yeah. I mean, you're right. This is like one of the most iconic scenes from the original trilogy. And I mean, the big question here is, you know, you like even when as a child, when I watched the scene, like I remember seeing Luke's face and Darth Vader's helmet and like just being scared. But then like rewatching it with this idea of focusing on caves, I was like, well, this is a deliberate choice that this is a cave. It didn't have to be in a cave, this scene. Like George Lucas made 
this conscious decision to have this scene take place in a cave. And I think you're right because it adds like just rewatching it and thinking about the senses that, that Luke is having. And when he's talking to Yoda, you know, he's like, it feels cold and Mm. you can hear all of these like weird animals. It's like, it has this eerie feeling. So it adds to, you know, cinematically, it adds to, you know, the intensity of the scene, but also just thinking about caves is what I was talking about earlier is like this liminality. You're kind of, you're stepping like if you're outside the cave you're in the world that you're familiar with you're more comfortable but then as you transition and go inside this dark place that you're unfamiliar with where your senses aren't the same and it's dark it smells different it, the air feels different your everything is changing so you can feel physically that's transformation that's about to happen as luke descends into the cave and so i think that um you're right. This element of fear is what he's he's encountering, and that's being mirrored in the setting. And um, I have so many thoughts about this scene too. Um, I I'm trying to think of how to how to say it eloquently, I guess. But um, I mean, the first thing that you know is Luke is about to go in, right? He wants to take his lightsaber, and Yoda's like, "You won't be needing that." And then Luke, of of course, takes his lightsaber, and then when he does encounter his worst fear which here is darth vader he immediately draws his lightsaber and that's when he you know chooses violence basically to attack his fear with a wet like with a physical man-made weapon and then sees himself as darth vader um i mean later just thinking about what happens in episode six i think that yoda meant that he didn't need physical weapons to go with him Everything that he needed to defeat Darth Vader was in his mind. He just needed to realize that and and believe in himself. So in a sense, this is that element of self-discovery that I was talking about um, that Yoda was wanting Luke to discover. Because if he hadn't brought a physical weapon and used instead, which we see Luke eventually use, like compassion and understanding with Darth Vader, um, then he could have learned early on that that's what would defeat him in the end. that's my initial take, but um, I don't know if you guys have any feedback on that. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Carl. No, I, yeah, I mean, I, I first off lo- love your um, your Yoda quote of "You will not be needing that." I really wish Yoda had just mm-hmm. said that. I think that would have been really <laughs> yeah, funny. Like he always <laughs> talks in that weird syntax, but right there, you will not be yeah. needing that. Um, no, you know, I, yeah, I, it's. It, Right. Like that, just that, that moniker of whatever you bring into this experience. Um, it's funny. Cause like for years I ran, you know, at the, at the college I worked at, I ran retreats and I would always mm-hmm. tell students on that first, first evening, like, Hey, whatever you bring into this experience will impact what you take out of this. Right. So if you come into this experience, just thinking about your schoolwork, all you're going to manifest over the weekend is anxiety. If you come here with, you know, just, like one solitary worry on your mind, that's going to be fed by this, the silence and the quiet and the community of this experience. Um, so like, and you know, like it, it was never about shaming whatever they brought in. It was just the reality of like what you bring into this intimate space will become more pronounced. And I think that that's mm-hmm. very true of what's going on for Luke and Dagobah is, you know, Yoda's pointing out like, I mean, Yoda sent or Luke and Luke senses that there's a darkness here. Um, and in a way it's like, he's got to descend into that own, his own darkness. He has to descend into those parts Mm -hmm. of himself, right? Like you mentioned that he's, he's afraid of, 
Um, and how does he want to confront that? How does he want to confront that fear? And he chooses to confront it by trying to just dominate it to, um, mm -hmm. you know, to overwhelm it through physical violence. Um, and Hey, that's a route to go. And there's consequences to that route as he learns. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's great in that regard. And, and it even reminds me back to one of my, my, my favorite retreat memories is when I was a freshman in college myself, we went on a freshman retreat and I was, I only went because um, a particular individual that I was really attracted to was going on it. So I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this is my opportunity to get to know them better. Um, and I, that's all I could think about the whole weekend. And they're like, what were you thinking about in your prayer group today? I was like, uh, Allison. Um, and they're like, okay, let's talk about that. And, uh, you know, it's like it just dominated everything. And in some ways it was great. And in some ways it was you know, it really, it also really took away from the experience of, of getting to know other peers in the community. Um, but yeah, I mean, what we bring into those kind of intensely, uh, uh, personal moments is, is quite profound. Yeah. And Luke obviously, you know, isn't quite sure what he is looking for yet. You know, mm -hmm. he's looking for an answer, but he doesn't quite have the question to ask you know either so he's he's looking for an answer he's looking for um a sign uh something that'll give him power to to stop the evil to to defeat darth vader um and so when he sees the vision of darth vader he, he attacks it and it is interesting to note that he strikes first um which is very deliberate um that uh you know he then is shown my interpretation is he has shown what he could be, you mm -hmm. know, exactly, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's why it's his face in the mask. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's not the answer he was wanting, <laughs> but it's the one he needed. So, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it, I think it's interesting too. Um, I see a lot of connections to, um, like Buddhist, thought and Taoism. Um, so as I mentioned, Taoism is like a, a Chinese religion that goes back to like the sixth century BCE. Um, but in those lines of, especially in Taoism, I know they have this whole, um, as part of their cosmology and like the way they view the universe, it's like they have, you know, there's like the earthly plane and then this mythological plane with you know dragons and various gods. And they're all connected within, you know, the, the earthly landscape. So within the mountains and the caves and the rivers. And they actually have texts where they have um, essentially plotted some of the major caves within China. And they call them um, grotto heavens. So there are 10 greater grotto heavens and then 36 lesser grotto heavens. And within these teachings, like you spend your basically your whole life practicing Taoism and learning kind of these, uh, you know, their institutional teachings and reading their texts and learning, you know, their how to meditate and also these exercises that go along with it. And then once you reach a certain age or, you know, certain point within your discipline, you then sent out to one of these caves by yourself to learn. They do this something called inner alchemy. Um, where you're basically trying to undo everything that you had learned in your teaching 
and focus on yourself and finding yourself so that you then can like promote and your level of consciousness to live on after death, which I see a lot of connections to with the force ghosts, which we'll talk about later too, I'm sure. Um, but I see the same idea of what you're just talking about with Luke. Like he didn't know exactly what he was getting into when he was going into the cave and he had been taught, you know, like, this is my lightsaber. This is what I defend myself with, defend, you know, the ones I love with. And so of course that's going to be his first reaction and it's going to take more time, you know, for him to ultimately learn, you know, how he individually wants to react to these challenges that come up later within the episodes. But, um, I don't know if that's intentional or not with George Lucas, but I definitely see some of those connections. Uh, I mean, I, I'm fairly certain that George was inspired a lot by Taoism and Buddhism mm -hmm. when coming up with the force, the idea of the force. Mm -hmm. anyway. So uh -huh. it, wouldn't surprise me it, it wouldn't surprise me if that's deliberate, um, mm -hmm. but you know, it at least fits the uh, themes, um, you know, Mm -hmm. so. yeah. yeah um go ahead girl no i was just gonna say how do you you know i mean what is your kind of looking more intensely at what exactly goes down in that cave you know how do you break that down for luke um you know so he does he does confront this very visible physical manifestation of what he's afraid of um you know what what is the importance of of this cave sequence? Why is it so important to Luke's journey that he has this experience, would you say? Hmm. I mean, I mean, facing your fear is this this gets into I'm just thinking about like Carl Jung who and you know the the psychologist who also heavily influenced Joseph Campbell who we know George Lucas loved um just thinking about the idea of like fear facing your fears is like the ultimate way of you finding your individuality and what and and finding the courage like it's all these themes we see in star wars you know finding the courage and the hope and the will to continue on and to to make those active choices like that's what star wars ultimately emphasizes it's your choice like you can change there's all these different possibilities for the future, these different paths that you can go down, but it's ultimately your choice. And so I think this is that moment, really, one or at least one of the significant points when Luke is faced with that, the choice that he has to make. And so he's seen, I don't know if he realizes it right at that moment, but he sees what could happen if he chooses physical violence and, and acts out on his fear with anger and with hate and... Um, more fear. So um, he has to make that choice. You know, is he going to do it again in later times when he encounters Darth Vader and other times when he encounters, you know, losing his, you know, friends and family. Um, so I think that's why it's very important. And, and the cave setting, I think it just emphasizes that it's an unusual setting to have. Um, and it, it draws on these themes of, relig of religious importance that highlight it, I think. And that's why it was specifically chosen as the setting for this to happen. Yeah. It, no, yeah, it doesn't seem Go ahead, Jason. Sorry. It doesn't seem to me that he learned the lesson uh, in Empire Strikes Back because of mm -mm. the conversation on Cloud City. But 
he was able to put it into practice at the end of Return of the Jedi, ultimately. Yes, yes, this is true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, as as he's leaving Dagobah to go try to rescue his friends, I mean, Yoda says, remember your failure at the cave? Like, he tells him straight up, you Mm -hmm. failed there. Um, Yeah, you know, um, just kind of what it also something I was thinking about is, as I was thinking more about the scene as well is in kind of, as you were speaking about earlier, you know, caves are often these liminal spaces. Uh, when mm-hmm. I, I did a, a summer long retreat in Ireland, living in a monastery with a bunch of monks a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and they took me to this place in Ireland known as a thin space. Now it, it wasn't in a cave. It was on a mountaintop, which I know you, you know, you mentioned earlier is also a very liminal space for a lot of, uh, cultural understandings. Um, but they talk about this reality that it's this place where, you know, heaven and earth seem to intersect, right? It's, it's, it's something outside of our everyday experience. Um, and I love that the, the way that Irvin Kirshner shoots this particular scene as, as soon as Luke's down into the cave, everything is kind of in slow motion, but not slow motion. Like again, like you Mm -hmm. mentioned, like the, even just the, the camera visual language is telling us that we're in a different kind of space. Um, mm-hmm. there's nothing else in the original trilogy shot like this. Um, it, it really does stand out. Um, and again, like just thinking about other cultures, you know, um, I, I don't know the specific native American, um, tribes that do these. I know there's a lot of them, but like the, the importance of sweat lodges, they kind of become this liminal space. I mean, a sweat lodge is, it's not a cave, but it's a cave like structure in which you enter into for this transcendent experience to have this kind of deep experience of, of oneself and coming out of that experience with a fuller understanding of who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and like that said, would you, would you say that Luke comes out of this experience with any sort of like, did he learn a lesson? I, you know, in Empire Strikes Back, what, what's funny is, is so I, as, as I asked that question, I'm just going to keep talking for a second. Sorry. <laughs> um, but, uh, the, the, the radio dramas, which I love so much in the Empire Strikes Back radio dramas, right? Like, like this was clearly a hard scene. Like, how do you turn this into a radio moment? So Luke comes out of the experience and says to Yoda, like, I don't know what I learned here. And Yoda's like, well, what did you see? He's like, I saw myself. And he goes, wait, my own enemy is myself. Like they make it so blatant to you in the radio drama. Like Luke himself understands that he's his own worst enemy to quote lit um, from 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, like, do you feel like Luke came out of that? Cause I feel like on camera, what we get visually is a very confused Luke who never really seems to, have digested what he may or may not have learned. And right again, like as he's leaving in a rush there to head off to cloud city, you know, you, and Yoda says you failed there. He's like, but I've learned so much since then, but it's like, but have you learned that lesson? You know? So what was the cave trying to teach Luke and did he learn it? I think he did learn it right then. And, and I think that that, I mean, and, we wouldn't want him to, right? Because then the show would be over. Story's over. <laughs> you know, and I mean, that reflects your own, like our own personal journeys. Like often lessons aren't learned instantaneously. You need time to to process, um, you know, often for them it to be repeated multiple times for you to ultimate, you know, to keep making mistakes, for you to ultimately learn and reflect on, you know, what, the true path for you and your own individual choices that you want to make and stand by. So, yeah, I don't think he 
he understands. But I also think this scene can have multiple interpretations. Like I like the idea of, you know, him seeing himself as the own, his own worst enemy. Um, I know Joseph Campbell talks about Darth Vader, Darth Vader being like the representation of like the industrialized man, you know, following uh, what society dictates and having no individual personality. And then Luke coming in and standing for the one who, you know, makes choices against what society dictates and, and has his own voice. So and that was in his the power of myth that I was just looking at, but um, but yeah, I don't think he he understands it right away, which I don't think you do either, Jason. No, I don't. Uh, he it takes the defeat uh, at the hands of Darth Vader in Cloud City and the loss of his own actual mm-hmm. hand, I think, to finally you know bring the lesson home. And he's like, oh, mm-hmm. I was supposed to learn to avoid this, and I didn't. You know, it, it takes mm-hmm. some of that negative reinforcement um, to make him go back and reassess and go, oh, now I get it. Um, so in my opinion, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making a little bit of jest, at, you know, but mm-hmm. point stands is that, I, you know, if he had learned the lesson, the movie would not have ended the way it did. Um but no, so he, he didn't learn at all. He It kind of sat there, and then the lesson had to be triggered by another failure, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the Cloud City confrontation. So, yeah. But, uh, well, we we have talked a lot about Dagobah. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, nothing wrong with that. But I know we've not got... Yet, a- how can we not? <laughs> I know we've got a lot more caves to, to make our way through. Um, and... You know, the next big one that you kind of offered up for us, Caroline, is the the mirror cave on Octo. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the big things that stand out for you right from the get go? Um, I, I will say this yeah. is I'm the most curious to get into this discussion because this is one I still don't quite get. Like I, I get the general gist of, I think, what what Ray is supposed to be experiencing and, and the lesson she, you know, the, the lesson or the revelation she's getting. But this is one that I I haven't quite wrapped my head around yet. So I'm very interested in this discussion. <laughs> I am too. I mean, I, I um, you know, full disclosure, I'm not the biggest fan of The Last Jedi. So I have only seen, I mean, I rewatched it today. But I too, um, you know, have really, really first started delving deeper into what this meant, you know, doing the research. So, you know, a lot of my opinions are probably going to come as we talk about it. Um <laughs> But this is the, I think that, I mean, she, Ray, it's a, it's kind of the same journey, right? That's being mirrored here um, mm-hmm. with that Luke experience. She, this, this cave seems to be calling to her during her, you know, teachings with Luke. And at first she, you know, in this, in the scene, she, um, when she, when she's first like hearing the calling, she, she wants to go to it. Right. And Luke gets mad at her for just instantly wanting to go towards it. You know, she didn't have any reservations about just following this um, darkness that resides underneath, you know, this. It's a temple, right? Yeah. On Octu, I can. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, so that that resides on Octu. And then um, so it's eventually when she goes down to explore it. Right. She's faced with this this cave of mirrors where she sees herself. You know, forwards and behind her, which I, I don't 
I kind of was interpreting as like the future in the past because you can see like when she snaps, it's like the ones behind her will snap before she snaps mm-hmm. and then the mm-hmm. ones follow. And then she asks to see her parents and then she sees two shadowy figures coming towards her behind this one of the mirrors and eventually they converge and she sees herself. So I, I guess, I, I mean, we can interpret it that she's also trying to face her fears here, but um, I mean, the setting, I was thrown off by the setting and the choice to use mirrors. It, it kind of takes, it gets in these mythological tropes that I'm trying and like, you know, religious tropes that I'm trying to draw on to bring forward. But I think the same idea of, you know, her biggest fear is being by herself and then seeing that she is by herself and that her parents aren't revealed to her is her facing these fears. But um, how she chooses to react to that, I don't, I don't really, I don't know. What are you guys thinking? You know, I, I, I've never been a, a particularly much of a fan of Harry Potter, but I did mm-hmm. read the first couple of books and I've seen the first few movies. And I remember there's, I, I can't remember if it's in the first or second story first. Okay. Thank you. Uh, where there's that, that mirror. And I actually had asked some friends of mine who are big Harry Potter fans this morning. I was like, what's the name of that mirror? Is the Arizad or whatever. Is that how you say it? Um, but my friend told me, she's like, well, it's the, it's the word desire spelled backwards. Um, so oh. it's, I think it's Arisad is how you pronounce it. I, I don't mm. know, but, uh, but talked about how like apparently Dumbledore mentions that this is, this is the mirror in which your deepest, most desperate desires are revealed in. And, you know, that really struck a chord when watching last Jedi again, like I'm not, I'm not a Harry Potter connoisseur, but um, I did, I did like that idea of this mirror that, that can draw the, these truths out of you. And I think, you know, in some ways it's similar to Luke's experience on Dagobah, right? She does have to confront this fear. And, and I think, like you said, Caroline, the biggest fear for her is being alone, being her own, her own support system, even, um, but I think it is also it it is drawing out that deepest, most desperate desire, which is um, where do I belong? Right. I mean, that's that's kind of what she came into Last Jedi asking Luke, you know, is what's my place in all of this? Um, that's mm-hmm. really what she's seeking and and connecting it back to, you know, Force Awakens, where she mentions, you know, she's there waiting for her family. You know, she's got this tremendous hope still that they're going to come back for her. So she really needs to see them. She needs to know that they're out there. So this this cave experience is, again, she just like Luke, she takes something in with her. And what she takes in with her, rather than that, like I would say Luke just takes his fear um, with him, his fear and his insecurity in himself, whereas Ray takes her desperation in her desperation mm. to know how she connects, how I belong in all of this. And what she's offered is you don't need that. You don't need, um, right. You don't need anyone. You don't need a parent. You've mm-hmm. always been your own parent. Um, so, you know, and it's, it's interesting. Cause like we talk about how the, the Dagobah cave, it's the dark side cave, this mirror cave. It's, it's the darkness in the cave that calls to her. Um, I mean, and also the visual of her being pulled down into a thing of water. I mean, there's, there's something very mm-hmm. baptismal about that, right? She's submerged in mm-hmm. water and comes out and her hair is finally not, you know, in the buns. It's the first time her hair has changed in the course of a movie and a half. 
Um, so she <laughs> she comes into that space somewhat transformed right from the from the get go. Um, and yeah, I mean, so what she what she brings in with her is that desperation. Um, and and she gets an answer right. The darkness often shows us the truth of what our fears reveal to us. Um, and I think that's what she's offered there on Octo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, on a, on a, maybe a more, uh, less spiritual, um, interpretation of this is that, yes, yeah, she is bringing her desperation. She is looking for her parents still, you know, I think she still has some hope that they are out there still. And so when she is presented this mirror and she asks the question, where are they? Show me my parents. They're not there. They are mm-hmm. dead. You know, we find out in, you know, in Rise of Skywalker what exactly happened to them, but they're not, you know, alive anymore. So, you know, it, it she is the last of what her parents are. So, um, you know, that's you know, maybe another, you know, less spiritual, more, more surface level interpretation of that as well that, you know, came to me in this as we were discussing it. But um, yeah, it, it, I think it works on multiple levels and it's designed to, you know, have, you know, 1800 different interpretations like Cave on Dagobah. But yeah, I, I, I think it's less clear mm-hmm. uh, than Dagobah is. Um, and I'm going to assume that was by design. Um <laughs> But, uh, was, but then I was also thinking maybe it is clear because ha- didn't Ryan Johnson, wasn't he an advocate for Ray not having parents, like her actually being no one? Yes. So what if, like, in his, you know, planning for the, the course of the sequel trilogy, he was revealing the truth here. It's just like, you know, us not knowing exactly what's going on. You can, It's open for interpretation, but maybe it is possible that this was an actual revelation of the truth, that she was no one, you know, whether or not she was made by the midichlorians or, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. That, that just came to my mind when you were talking, Jason. Yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know we'll, we'll never know, you know, at least mm-hmm. for a while uh, until the making of... Uh, the sequel trilogy <laughs> books come out and we get to hear all the juicy, you know, drama that happened behind the scenes <laughs> with this movie, but these movies, but, uh, you know, it's entirely possible, I think. And I honestly like that idea of her journey better than what we got. Mm-hmm. Not to say I don't like Palpatine being back because I love Ian McDermott. Um, but, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think yeah. in, in the course of that, so kind of, you know, as you were saying, Caroline, even, you know, with Dagobah, Luke doesn't really like with any of these lessons, you don't really mm-hmm. learn it until you've had the time to kind of digest it and, and live, live through some of its revelations. Um, I mean, that's the same is true for Ray. I mean, I just real quick, just everybody wants to shout out the su- super originality of Last Jedi. And yes, there's a lot of originality, but this is copying so much of the story beats of Empire. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. what, what does Ray learn in the mirror cave that her parents don't matter? What is she told later in the movie? You come from no one from Kylo, right? Like, so mm-hmm. very similar story beats. So again, just, yes, it's, it's a new way of looking at something, but the beat is the same. Um, but and George, it, it George... is interesting too, that like when she, so if she is presented with this lesson of, you know, like you are your own source of power, right? You don't need anyone. She immediately, it kind of draws her closer to Kylo Ren. 
right, right when they're kind of playing around with this the dyad thing she feels this even stronger pull against the teaching right so that's even going more of what we're talking about that you need to make some more like exploratory mistakes in a sense before you can kind of truly realize what you encountered in these these caves yeah 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 you know and 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 I can only speak to the Christian tradition because it's the only one I've studied extensively. But mm-hmm. it, it just makes me think of how like a lot of the mystical saints from the early church tradition who have these intense experiences of God, they often talk mm-hmm. about it how as, as if they're looking into a mirror and what's being reflected back to them is their imperfection, is their imperfections because they're standing there in the revelation of like God's perfection and all they can notice is their imperfections. So in a, in it may be interesting way is Ray is looking into that cave. She only can see what makes her feel imperfect that being Mm -hmm. on her own, that being her own support system, that being her own strong, independent individual is somehow a weakness for her. When in reality, it's kind of the source of her strength. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. yeah. We just came up with like five interpretations of this scene in five minutes. So there you go, everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome because that's, I mean, that's, it is such a unique, I mean, you know, even it's kind of repeating these tropes. It's, it is a unique scene that ha- occurs in The Last Shadow. And it's the one that I remembered the most. I mean, not just because I love caves, you know, <laughs> bias, but like, it's just a very unique scene and, you know, deals. I don't know. It's so many cool interpretations. So it's fun that we can tease this out that fast. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it definitely, there's nothing else like it. You know, no one else, you know, has a mirror experience like that um, Mm -hmm. in Star Wars. Uh, So it's definitely, definitely got its own unique element to it. So I'll give it that. And it's, it's cool. It's weird, but it is cool. Mm -hmm. So. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Would you want to move on to. Yeah, the- I think maybe we could talk about so the, kind of basically the crystal hey or you know caves where you encounter um, the Kyber crystals. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of lump the two together because we have the crystal caves on Ilum, which we see in the Clone Wars, and then the caverns under the Jedi Temple at Lothal, where eventually um, Ezra is presented with his Kyber crystal by Yoda. Um, so we could maybe lump them together. Yeah. I mean, I love the, um, the, the Ilum caves, uh, with the younglings and everything. It is such a good, good episode of the Clone Wars. So when I saw it on the notes, I was like, Oh, good. <laughs> we get to talk about this one. Um, uh, yeah, I like this because it, it's a, it's a huge space. Um, and I'll just sort of like kind of, um, start this off and then throw it back to you. Um, but it's a huge space, but each of the, the younglings gets their own very specific, very, you know, uh, tailored vision or challenge or something that they're supposed to work through and figure out how to overcome, um, which I think is great. And is is obviously, you know, a nod to, to, you know, some of the scenes we've already discussed, but, um, I, I always found that was interesting in that they have to overcome that before their kyber crystal is revealed. Even mm-hmm. though you know the walls are literally just filled with kyber crystals that they just can't see. 
you know? <laughs> so I, what do you think the connection is, I guess, to kind of jump into the, uh, this idea, the connection between the crystal itself and the challenge that is overcome? Um, I mean, it's interesting what you're, you're drawing on that the, you're not allowed, basically you, you're not presented with your kyber crystal or you're not shown your kyber, kyber crystal by the force until you kind of have this self discovery, self-realization moment that makes you like an even better, you know, person, creature. (laughs) Um, so the fact that that is what is required to have your Kuiper crystal presented to you, it makes total sense then thinking about these things that we've been talking about, that this would happen in a cave. Um, I mean, you know, thinking about crystals too, you know, you find crystals in deep in the caverns of underground, you know, mining too, there's also that connection. Um, but it's really interesting to think about because, I mean, you know, even as a little girl, I remember wondering, like, how do you make your lightsaber? Like, how is it done? How do you get this crystal? And then finally presented with it in the Clone Wars, I was happy to see that we have kind of these more spiritual, you know, elements presented um, with us. So um, I don't know, I think I've kind of lost my train of thought, but. Is it, you know, However you want to pick up on that, you know, I, I was just wondering, like, the connection between the crystal and the the um, the challenge, the, you know, whatever that they, they had to overcome. I guess it is, you know, you have to prove yourself. And mm-hmm. that sort of, like, you know, causes the crystal to maybe, like, call out. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, like, you know, are you worthy, mm-hmm. basically? Um, like, does the Force deem you worthy? Like, that's something, too, that that's been interesting to think about like the, the force can make choices in a way, because when I was looking into like the idea of force ghosts and whatnot, you know, whenever, uh, which we didn't talk about it, about it very much, but whenever Qui-Gon visits Yoda and takes him to Dagobah to learn about becoming, you know, having his, basically his consciousness continue after death into the force in the clone wars. Um, the, he says there, you know, Qui-Gon says like the force, chose me and it's it's chosen you so it's interesting you know to getting into concepts about the force as well that it seems that there is you have to prove yourself worthy as a jedi to um have the the kyber crystal be presented to you and it seems like you know you have to do this through these you know personal challenges that you can overcome yeah it's 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 interestingly enough it's almost a a kind of a combination of these other two caves we've just talked about, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the whole theme from Dagobah of you go in there to learn something deeply troubling about yourself, something that you have to overcome in yourself, something that's a, a fear of yours. Um, and yet it's also in this very mirrored space, right? Uh, it's mm-hmm. what's being reflected back to, to these, these younglings is their own specific fears, their own specific, uh, shortcomings that they have to surmount in order to, as you put it, you know, kind of be deemed worthy of, of the responsibility of a Jedi. I, I mean, I've quoted the, this episode a bazillion times because it's my, probably one of my favorite quotes about the Force is at the beginning of the episode when Yoda says, the Force made visible a Jedi is, um, mm. right? So if, if you are going to be a, 
somewhat living embodiment of the force, there's a profound responsibility that comes to that calling. Um, so you're here to see if you are, as you said, worthy in a sense, um, you know, and, uh, it, 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 this has me wondering, and this is a topic for another day and might be a great topic to have a conversation with you more about in the future, Caroline. But, mm-hmm. and I've always wondered about this is does the force itself have a will? Right. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's so many things in star Wars that seem to imply that it does. And there are also things in star Wars that say that it doesn't. I mean, I, I think with any profound mystery, like whenever, you, whenever I use religious language to pr- talk about the profound mystery, that is God or the divine, it's always a both. And God can be both imminently present and also wildly transcendent, right? So beyond our grasping and yet so graspable, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think that there's some element of that in, in the force as well. Right. Uh, that it can seem to have. And, and actually, in the last Jedi novel, there's a great moment when Luke reaches out to touch the force again for the first time, which we get that scene. Um, but it's very clipped in the movie. But in the book, he immediately becomes aware of the, the will of the cosmic force and how it brought Ray specifically to him. But he's ignored it. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, like. Ilum seems to kind of embody it's this space where uh, the living force mirrors to you what you must confront in yourself before taking some of the most responsible steps into the Jedi journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, on another level, it's a little Excalibur esque, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, they, they, you know, you reach out into the to the cave to get your crystal, which then, you know, forms your, your lightsaber, your weapon, you know, this weapon is your life. Um, it is the, the, you know, the representation of what a Jedi, the lightsaber is, is a hugely important symbol, you know, um, and the Kyber crystal is the heart of that. So not only is it a weapon, um, used for defense, uh, of yourself and others, but primarily others, but it is a, a symbol of, you know, what the Jedi are, Post B, and so you know, in this cave offers you the ability to prove yourself of taking that step, I guess, and then presenting to you the key to having you know your lightsaber. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't actually have like a hand coming out of cave walls handing you a <laughs> kyber crystal, but uh, you know, like the lady in the lake. But uh, it is a little Excalibur esque, I think. So, yeah, it is. And, you know, just thinking more about, you know, why a cave, you know, this didn't have to be a cave where you find the kyber crystals. Um, but it makes sense, you know, that we do have, I like, I was just thinking about it. Like, do you think that maybe as a part of your training as becoming a Jedi is to enter? I mean, we know that they, you know, before, I mean, I guess it's like, is it a requirement to enter a cave that ha- that is strong within the within the force. Um, like is that, it's not only the goal is to retrieve the Kyber crystal, but it is it to enter this cave because that seems to be where we're seeing these themes that you're encountering these, you know, battles within yourself and facing your fears because with Luke, I mean, he doesn't find a Kyber crystal in the cave, right. Or later Ray, but there, there have this same, the continuity is that you're facing your fear. Like, is that part of your Jedi training? Hmm. Yeah. I would think so. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the cave definitely, you know, 
is a great place to do that in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is contained. It's, you know, it's contained. So in a sense, it is safe to do that in, but it is also dark and uh, deep underground and has the, uh, you know, the, all the elements of something where your fears might hide. So it heightens those anxieties and brings them out so that you have to confront them. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I like, like that. that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I um, think so too. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Carl. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm curious if any, any of your research too, because especially the, these caves on Ilum, they are, it's an, it's essentially an initiation ritual, right? Um, mm-hmm. have any of your, you know, any of the, the, the particular caves you've researched, do they, do they ever act as kind of a space of transformation in that way? Like as, as kind of a, an initiation ritual. Mm. For initiation specifically. Yeah. Cause we're thinking here, younglings, right? This yeah. is kind of like the process of becoming right. Um, into this tradition. Um, I mean, early on, the only thing that I'm really thinking about is in in Greece, um, what I study that the I, I don't know if you've heard of the um, Eleusinian mysteries, the mysteries at Eleusis. Um, but this is um, it's the cult to Demeter. So the, the goddess of the, the grain, basically. And there's a myth of um, Demeter and her daughter Persephone and um, essentially Hades, the god of the underworld comes and takes Persephone, um, who lives above Earth with Demeter, and takes her down into the underworld to make her his bride. And um, Demeter gets really upset and wanders around and eventually like goes into a cave and starts mourning the loss of her daughter and eventually accesses the underworld and you know um, negotiates that Persephone will be you know above ground part half of the year and then below ground with him the other half of the year. And that kind of mirrors the cycle of agriculture, right? So you have, you know, the harvest and then, you know, when everything dies and during the winter. Um, but a but a part of this myth is mysteries that kind of reenact this. It's like a harvest ritual, mm-hmm. agricultural ritual. And there is um, a cave there at Eleusis to Hades. And as a part of these mystery, you know, religion to Demeter, you have to venture and do certain rituals in and around the cave. So that's the, uh, to be a part of this initiate. It's not like a religion that everybody can practice. It's like certain religion within, you know, the wider Greek religious practices that happen. So you have to be initiated into it. So that's the only thing that's really coming to mind. Um, but I mean, I did talk about like Taoism, you know, like venturing into the cave as part of, you know, your ultimate journey, which is like a lifelong journey. Um, to, you know, advancing your consciousness to, you know, states beyond normal. Same with in Buddhism. I know that um, the Buddha meditated in caves a lot. A lot of aesthetics and Christian hermits venture into caves as a part of their journeys. But as initiates, I'm not not sure. Uh, I have to think. But that's very interesting thought, too. Yeah. To have. Yeah, that I, you face this as a young, as a young, as a early on in your training, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and to be fair, uh, with Luke and Ray, it is kind of early on in their 
you know, mm-hmm. formalized right. training as well. Yeah. So, That's a good point. you know, they're, they're just older, you know, when they're mm-hmm. receiving the training, but it is still early on in their training. So it tracks. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. What were you thinking, Carl? No, um, I, well, I'm not, I was just, um, yes, just, I was agreeing. Um, but I was thinking of, uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite Christian saints is Ignatius who formed the Jesuit community, um, back in the, um, uh, 17th century, 16th century. And, uh, when he was an early hermit, he spent a lot of times in caves when, you know, he, he was a very dramatic person, which is probably why I like him. Cause I love a good dramatic son of a gun. And, uh, so like when he decided like, Oh, I'm going to go after Jesus. That's how I want to spend my life. Like he went over the top about it. And just like, he was a, you know, he was a well-off prince, sold all his stuff, well, wandered off into the wilderness and lived in a cave for, for months on end thinking that's what he should do. Right. Like, Oh, I should deny the, the desires of the flesh. Cause that's what God would want. And as he was living in these caves, he has this profound uh, transformative experience um, where he meets God and learns that, no, 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 this is not how you live in the world. It's not by separating yourself. And yet, but by secluding himself in this dark space, um, that's where God's God's ultimate truth finds him. And he he comes out of that a changed person and, you know, uh, starts this whole profound religious community as a result. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just fascinating to me how, how often these things happen. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I, I actually had to, I had to have an MRI for something just the other day this week. And the, I mean, the experience of, uh, having an MRI is, it's it's almost like being in a mini cave. (laughs) It's very claustrophobic. And there's something, there's something in those spaces, you know, where you're, your fear can kind of become more pronounced. Um, so yeah, yeah, kind of losing your, your normal senses, sense perceptions kind of, you know, incites that instinct of panic and fear within you. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. Um, well, dude, I, I know we, we've been, we've been going long on just a couple of these and, and cause there's so much to say about these, these particular caves. Um, but I would love to hit on just even, even if at a, at a quicker pace, looking at some of these monster caves, um, you know, yeah. and again, I know, I know we're leaving. Uh, I know you'd, you know, you'd offered up the, the, the caves kind of under the Jedi temple on Lothal. Uh, I mean, there's so many other little things there, but I, mm-hmm. I feel like it's, let's, let's spend a little bit of time with the monsters. Um, no, I agree. It's similar. The thing on Lothal, I mean, Ezra, receives his crystal so it's a similar trope i think right. we should go to the monsters <laughs> yeah we we all like a good monster because not only are caves like a place where for a transcendent sort of uh inspirational self-discovery moment but as i said they, they're also plays earlier there's also places where where the monsters hide um yes, and yes. we we get quite a few of those so um funny enough one one seems to be a bit familiar carl i don't know um which one that would be, though? <laughs> yeah, you're thinking of Otto Gunga, um, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. that place under the sea with Ariel and that talking crab. Uh, um, no, no. <laughs> yes, no. Oh no! Of course, the Wampus Lair. Uh, there is yeah. a there is a monster lurking in the Wampus Lair named Jason, and. Um, <laughs> 
So, <laughs> Caroline, what what jumps out to you about the, this this physical space of of the Wampus Lair itself? Um. Well, I mean, here I think we going on the theme of fear. Uh, I think is another constant, perhaps that we could maybe draw on. Is where I mean, here we were thinking about like met, you know metaphysical, you know theoretical imaginary fears, we'll say. But here we have like a real monster in the flesh fear, like one that can actually get you and attack you mortally. And so, um, you know, the cave scene on Hoth, you know, is another iconic scene. And I I think it's really interesting that it's an ice cave. I think Mm. that too is what makes it unique. Um, I mean, this could have happened in just, you know, one with exposed living rock, but here we have ice we have um, snow around, which adds to this unusual environment again, thinking about liminality, right? Because, you know, often we're, we're not exposed to an, an ice cave very much. So at least most of us. So we're getting into, you know, cinematically, we're taking us someplace foreign. We have like also plays within colors, you know, thinking about the blood that's the red blood that's spattered mm. on the white snow and like. It draws attention to Luke's lightsaber that's sticking out of the snow. You can see, you know, the bright metal, you know, shining there. And and although Luke's in his white suit hanging down, you know, he looks, it's very, he's right in the middle. Like, I'm just thinking of that shot when you see, like, the background of the, the cave and you see Luke standing there. It's just cinematically so beautiful, I think. I really love this scene. Um, and the, the Wampa, you know, is just... He's kind of like this other, this this monster that's there um, that we can see Luke, and since it's more so in the beginning, we can see Luke, how he's he's using the Force, right? And he's able to grab his lightsaber and defeat the monster, so we're able to see how, how far along he's come and, and, and things like that. Um, so, I mean, the, the idea of monsters being in caves is, is, you know, in a lot of mythology. I mean, what I study, the Cyclops... Polyphemus being in the cave with Odysseus in the Odyssey in Book Nine. That's the major thing there. And if you break that down, that always gets into the idea of like the civilized um, society versus the other society, the barbaric society. So I don't know if we're drawing those connections here, but I think it's certainly maybe a reference at least. And um, so that's initially my thoughts. But what do you guys think? I mean, this is your favorite, <laughs> the show's favorite scene too. Right? Oh, <laughs> man. Carl, I'll, I'll let you, um, I'll let you kick this off. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I never, like, I just never thought about it this way until, like, you kind of presented it to us in this mm-hmm. context as a cave. Um, but again, just thinking with just the general idea that caves are a transformative space and, and trying to think about this scene in that context of, all right, what is transformative for Luke here? Um, and, and I just I feel like it's it's within the struggle he has itself of, you know, reaching and reaching and reaching and understanding that there are just some things human Luke can't do, but force Luke mm-hmm. can kind of do the impossible, right? So there it's it um it is this desperate space 
um, where he's on a ticking time clock. You know, he's got to figure this out. He's got to figure out a way around his human limitations before the monster gets to him. Right. So it just kind of strikes me that in this scene, Luke's still initial instinct is to just rely on his, his own human grit, if you will. Right. And, Again, like Mark Hamill acts it really well. Like he's 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 reaching, reaching, reaching. Like he's groaning, he's straining to try to reach that hill, and yet finally, it like it's just like a light bulb goes off. He closes his eyes, clenches the fists, slowly releases them, and right, that's the visual language for us that he is tapping into the beyond. He is tapping into the force, and yet he's able to do it in this very dangerous space. Um, and it's it's because of the desperation of that scary space that he's able to find a new solution out of his predicament, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's a it's a place where he's forced to o- you know, overcome something uh, in a way that is bigger than he th- than he thinks he can. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's the, the, the standard trope of man versus monster, but it also is, is a, uh, like, you know, as I said, it's, it's a place where he has to prove himself to himself and say, yeah, I can, I can take these steps. I can, you know, overcome these things if I open myself up to the force in, in, in his specific case. Um, I do love the fact that you brought up Polyphemus, the Cyclops um, in the Odyssey, because that is one of my absolute favorite myths of all time. I have always sort of uh, referenced the Rancor uh, and the Sarlacc to Polyphemus, um, the Cyclops, and Caribidus or uh, Charybdis, Charybdis, and the Scylla, the Mm -hmm. the whirlpool and the the monster in the the cave. above the the whirlpool uh from the odyssey so uh you know i I feel like those are very deliberately kind of taking you know pages out of homer um in return of the jedi but yeah i i love the fact that you you brought it up too because that's my that's my favorite that's my jam (laughs) yes i think you're right this is clearly you know going into like the hero's journey that Mm -hmm. joseph campbell is positing right we do have this is part of that you have to the main character has to face monsters and you know learn things along the way uh so he can ultimately come out you know better than he was when he started so um but i really like carl your your discussion and the idea of of the transformation here and it actually reminds me of what we were talking about with ray like that you have you can here he could only rely on himself you know yoda wasn't there to like help him move the ship and like demonstrate that you can do this yourself with the force he had to it was like do or die he had to do it and he had to um, go deep within himself to, to find it. And, and and he proved to himself that he could. And that was important, you know, to see, you know, um, at this point in his journey that he was able to do it and he can keep going. We're seeing him progress. Um, it's not just a cool scene. <laughs> you know, there is, I think there is some, there is deep meaning to it if we teased it out. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's your what is your takeaway from the the Wampa Cave? Um, 
I think it's this. I think it is that, that same idea of the, the liminality and, and the idea of it's just promoting that idea of self-discovery. Um, and here, I mean, because, again, it didn't have to be a cave, this scene. Um, you know, it could just, like we said, it could be just simple that this is a very, you know, cinematically a very cool scene to do. Um, but I think it is a clear reference to the Cyclops in the, in the cave, the monster in the cave. He needs to battle. I mean, he does it also in episode six. I mean, it's not a cave, but I'm thinking about Jabba's palace. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the the Rancor, like it's in, it's in that dark underground, I guess, man-made cave-like structure where you're facing the monster and having to defeat them. It's, it's the similar trope. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, it's constantly going throughout. It just has maybe a little bit of a different makeup so that you can't see that's what's going on initially you have to you have to think about it and process it a little bit as a viewer it's a high stress situation where you have to you know do something you've never done before Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um yeah it's a you know whether it's outthink things or you know you know achieve a feat that you've Mm -hmm. never been able to to do before um, you know, yeah, it, I think that's kind of the general idea of any, you know, monster confrontation, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in these myths and in these stories, uh, mm-hmm. is, is proving yourself, you know, your, your martial skills, your tactical skills, your strategic skills, you know, however you want to put that, um, you know, or your, your faith in, you know, in Luke's specific case with the Wampa, you know, your faith in the fact that the force is something you can rely on, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I like that. I like it. Mm-hmm. And I think in large part, most, if not all the monster cave scenes kind of follow that kind of idea. So, um, yeah, which that's what's interesting. I mean, even like our next, I mean, I just generally was thinking about the, Geonosians on Geonosis just having these I mean they're not I don't know if we could categorize them as monsters but they're these creatures that you know live underground like bugs but here we have you know the Attack of the Clones movie is just you know constant you know Anakin and uh, Padme you know like going against them there's crowds of them they're swarming they're unusual creatures you're having to it's a part they're part of the story in in what the Anakin and his crew have to face um, on the planet, it's just adding to that intensity, um, and you know, being you know underground adds as well, adding to the mystery. We're on a different planet that we're not used to, one that's secretive because that's where we're hiding, you know, the um, what's it called? Separatist army. Yes, the separatist army <laughs> yeah. away in these caverns. So, um, thank you. <laughs> I don't know why that one thing would slip my mind, um, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's just adding to that mm-hmm. that level of mystery in there, and I mean that's what we've been talking about. Caves are places of mystery, with we with things in there that make you face your fears, whether or not it's you know metaphysical fear or an actual fear presented in a monster. Uh, that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah, and well, I, I like the way you just kind of put that too, right? Like whether it's a metaphysical fear or. Mm-hmm. something much more clear and present, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the Vader 
in the Dagobah cave. I'm, I'm always curious, like what happens if Luke hadn't deflected the lightsaber? Would it have cut him? Would it have been able to mm-hmm. kill him? Right? Like who knows? I mean, that's probably a conversation you can have in and of itself. But um, yeah. you know, the, these psychological uh, feats that these characters have had to face in the caves we were previously talking about are very different. This is a very real physical threat. You know, Luke doesn't get down from that cave. He's the, he's in the Wampa's belly. If, you know, Anakin, Obi-Wan and those clone troopers can't figure their way out of that maze of Geonosian caves, they're going to get fed to the queen bug. (laughs) Um, Right. Mm -hmm. Like if Luke doesn't figure out what to do about this rancor right now, he's dead. Um, Yeah. Right. So they they do represent different kinds of threats. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I know the last one you kind of brought up with with monsters and caves is, of course, the space slug on uh in the mm-hmm. in the asteroid field outside of Hoth which I always forget that that's called it's an exogorth is that right yeah 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 I had to look that up but it I, is called an exogorth yeah I did um, honestly yeah didn't, I, I, I thought of it as a space that. slug too it's a giant yeah. space slug slash exogorth you know yeah, if we're getting technical <laughs> right, right. it's a scientific <laughs> name or something yes <laughs> Um, yeah, I which I like I, I kind of added that last because you know I had in my head when like in that scene they're like this is no cave so I was like it's not a cave then like I can't put it <laughs> but uh, but I think it's worth discussing I mean it is a monster in a cavern on an asteroid so I mean technically it fits <laughs> yeah well but it, yeah it, this is along the same the same lines right. Well, and I think what kind of stands out with this experience too, if you think about it, is you know everyone else has gone into these caves. Well, I mean, Luke and Ray they go into those caves kind of willingly, looking for something. Right? They're there for a deeper mm-hmm. purpose. But why does Han choose to fly into this cave? It's pretty simple: refuge. Right? They're seeking shelter. Um, so they're not there to learn particularly anything about themselves. They're there simply to fix up the ship so that they can get out of there alive. Um, so it's kind of a different, uh, different purpose for going into that cave and yet being in that cave, um, truths between Han and Leia start getting pulled out, right? The, the fact that they have feelings for one another happen within that cave space. Um, Mm mm-hmm. So that's an interesting point. Yeah. Revelations are still made, even if it, they're not intentional. um, They're not sought after, Yeah, you know, maybe revelations that the characters are still kind of afraid of. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, oh my goodness. You know, aha, you know, (laughs) I don't think Leia likes the fact that she's getting these revelations. So (laughs) facing fears. Fear of still happening down. And being happy. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, that is really because I was pretty, you know, I didn't think about this one as much. But, you know, as we're talking about it, it is some of these themes are still, you know, touched on. Um, So that's really interesting to think about the significance, too, of, you know, again, was it, you know, they could, they could have just wanted a giant space lug and it was a cool scene, but it is interesting to note that these are still happening within a cave-like dwelling. Um, because, you know, you're still, like, just thinking of what we've been talking about. You're limited by sight and you're in different environments. So, like, a lot of these things just naturally would come up um, as you're faced at these critical moments. Yeah. 
Well, and, mm-hmm. and I, I, now I'm pr- maybe I'm just stretching at this point. Um, but the fact that caves are often, they reveal something you didn't expect. So again, they went in there expecting a place of shelter just to learn that it's not a safe space, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when they actually physically go out into the cave, right? When mm-hmm. Leia reveals something's chewing on the ship and they go out into the cave. I mean, again, physically speaking, it's, it's a very misty, clouded space. You know, you really can't see your way around. Um, they went in there expecting to be safe um, just to find that it, it wasn't a safe place. It's no cave. it's no cave yeah Yeah. there was one other sort of you know uh, you know subtopic that you wanted to bring up Mm -hmm. here uh, with caves or cave like structures and that's you know the symbol of the the feminine Um, lead us into that real quick and and what you kind of wanted to talk about there is I didn't expect that in, in this conversation so yeah, this is um, when something that came up with Carl and I early on in our discussions about, you know, having this topic is is it's kind of a, uh, an archetype that a cave is a symbol for the feminine or for a woman is specifically like the womb, like female anatomy and like thinking about the body as well. So that was something that I wanted to just talk about since we were going to be discussing this. And it doesn't necessarily happen in like actual caves within Star Wars per se. But there are, I mean, perhaps this is a stretch, but I still think it's worth talking about is um, I was specifically, we were thinking about the construction of the houses on Tatooine, um, specifically, you know, like the kind of, I don't know if, if they have a particular name, but, you know, like the igloo type, um, you know, mud brick dwellings that are on Tatooine. Um, So specifically the one that Shmi Skywalker, their house, and also the Lars home. And then um, thinking too about the shape and design of the Tusken Raider huts. They're very cave-like, you know, you enter, they're kind of huts, but you enter and they have, you know, this, um, you know, open space with inside and specifically thinking about when Shmi was captured and held within the Tusken Raider um, dwelling when Anakin comes to visit an attack of the clones. You have these themes of like maternal, um, you know, the maternal presence, family presence with the Lars where, you know, with uh, Luke being on Tatooine. So I wanted to touch on those themes a little bit. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah, go for it. I, I'll just keep going. Yeah, yeah, please do. I, I, I you know, uh, this is this is something I that is out of my my realm of expertise. So uh, I'm all ears. So. <laughs> well, I'll just delve deep, deep a little bit deeper. But um, I mean, I don't specifically deal with this stuff in my research either. But it has come this idea that the cave is connected to a woman is present even in my a, a little bit in my own. Uh, research and that I was talking about. So you have caves to the nymphs where young w- girls would go to make certain to do certain rituals as they prepare to get married. And then, you know, once you are married, then, you know, you, you're kind of taken from your father's home and into your husband's home. And that's it's it's a rite of passage. Right. But then just thinking about a cave and and a woman, you know, the the cave, is it's. um They all usually have water inside. Right. Because that's how, you know, Ge- geologically the cave is formed it's by you know 
the the rock usually their limestone like being eroded away by water and you know water is you know the most essential part of our life and thinking about women you know giving birth to you you can't exist without a woman and so it's their life giving um they're very uh the just like the 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 womb shape right draws attention to female anatomy and then um too in other cultures too and i know in christianity caves are a lot of um caves are present to um the mother mary Mm -hmm. and so drawing to those same kind of ideas that you know visiting caves where um you know the mother of jesus is present it's this this nurturing environment so that's when i thought about initially shmi being in the tuscan raider hut like i said although it's not a cave we have just this reunification of anakin with his mother that he's been wanting for so long that he's been you know having nightmares about he's been wanting to see her and here they're finally able to be unified and ultimately she passes away in this space but it draws, I think, on those same themes. Um, although it's, like I said, it's not like an actual rock cave. You're, it didn't have to be in this cave-like structure. I think that there is some deeper symbolisms that you can draw out of of why this is happening in this in this scene. Um, so we could talk about that one first if you want. But I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think especially the the Tuscan camp in Attack of the Clones. It's so like, I mean, it's a, it's Anakin's cave experience for his middle story. You know, he's tempted away by the dream for sure. But the actual personification of his fear is when he enters that space with Shmi, you know, here he is confronting what he's actually most afraid of in his face. And, you know, more than I think, yes, there's the, the, the immediate fear that, Shmi's going to die, but there's also his kind of grand fear, which is he can't save her, which, you know, that he can't, uh, he can't control the misfortunes that can befall the people he cares about. Um, so when Anakin enters that space, uh, something transformative happens and right. Like what he chooses to do as he leaves the cave is pretty profound. Um, you know, he, he goes in there, wanting to be the hero and that's taken away from him. Um, and his, his only reaction to that is violence. You know, uh, he, 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 he fails, he fails that test, which is why I think you, you know, you hear Qui-Gon yelling at him, (laughs) yelling across the, the, the netherworld of the force to try to restrain the anger. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly what I thought of is, is, you know, he, he goes into this space, finally getting what he's wanted just to understand that, you know, he has no control here. Um, it's, yeah. and, and, and he's not okay with that clearly. Right. Right. And to, to bring it a little bit back towards the idea of, of it being, you know, something, you know, womb like shape is uh, the idea that after the events that happened there in that, that hut, when he comes out, he commits actions that essentially give birth to the rise of Darth Vader. You know, Mm -hmm. it takes a while for that to develop, but Darth Vader is birthed from this moment, from this, this scene, the actions and the, the, you know, situation that happens there inside that hut. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, 
it is kind of like, you know, that, that, that sort of birthing, it, it gives life to something, not necessarily something good because it is a tragic situation, but it does, it gives, it does give birth to something, um, which is an interesting idea. Yeah. I think both of your analyses are, that's, it's just, I never even made some of those connections myself. I think you're right that this is in a sense, his cave scene. I mean, there, he does, like I had thought about in the Clone Wars when Anakin goes to Mortis and he's mm. essentially in a in a cave, right? But that is, you know, the Clone Wars. But here we can, see, you're right, I think, Carl, that we can see kind of his cave moment, his idea of encountering his fear in in this space, in the, in the prequel trilogies. And then you're right, that he comes out and this is when Darth Vader is ultimately, you know, conceived of is born uh, when he makes the decision right to choose like you said choose violence and attack the other Tuscan readers so yeah yeah that was that was a discussion I didn't think we were going to have today yeah. I'm excited <laughs> I know we didn't know where this was going to go and it, I love it so um, well, yeah I feel like right like the majority of these so much of this cave stuff has been, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say negative, but um, what's interesting though is is the Lars the Lars homestead. Even um, you know Shmi's hut there uh, in Mos Espa, even though it's a slave hovel. Um, there's something about those spaces though that are a bit different. And specifically, you know, connecting that to what you were talking about, Caroline, with the the idea of uh, like the womb. Um, mm-hmm. They were these very safe spaces. Um, and yet you still can't stay there. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure both Freud and Jung have a lot to say about the desire to return to the, you know, to the, to the womb, the desire for that warmth and self-sustaining life. Um, so I don't know. What, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on what the Lars homestead, you know, uh, the shape of those structures that are, you know, kind of buried in the ground, like many of the caves we've talked about. Yeah. I just, I think it is an interesting choice. Um, I mean, I always thought of them as like sand igloos, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but uh, they, it is an interesting choice, you know, to think of um, like their shelter as being essentially a man-made cave on Tatooine. And that, you know, it, it makes sense, like, logically. This is, you know, a way... That, I'm sure they're, like, sand-packed, like, mud-brick-type structures that are just easily, to you know, to construct. So we're, I'm trying to, like, be devil's advocate here and not get, like, too theoretical. Um, but it is interesting that his, his homestead is cave-shaped, you know, womb-shaped. And I think that that does... It's intentional especially knowing how much George Lucas was into these mythological concepts to draw on those same concepts. Right. And and like what you were saying, Carl, the idea of leaving, I mean, that's what we see in the beginning is Luke is just constantly wanting to leave. Right. And then he's, you know, um, his uncle is telling him no one more, one more season, you know, please stay on. And he's just wanting to leave uh, to go out and, you know, birth, have the birth of, of Luke that we come to know, like the one that is strong in the force. And, um, you know, ultimately he is able to leave and, 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 um, I mean, I think that that's personally, I, 
that's my opinion. But uh, I don't know. Do you, it seems you guys could see some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, mm-hmm. it is the you know the birth of you know a hero is the birth mm-hmm. of as who he's supposed to be, uh, not just the farm boy, but you know the birth of 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 this Jedi Knight that becomes a legend you know, eventually. So it it is definitely, you know, that's where it all comes from. He was nurtured. He was, you know, brought up. He has a, he had a great, you know, you know, family dynamic there Mm -hmm. on Tatooine. He grew up in a very good home. It was, he was nurtured. He was well cared for. He was taught, you know, good values, you know, and then, you know, he, he ended up in a, you know, it ended up being a really rough kind of transition to leave but he did have to leave and that mm-hmm. birth, you know, this greater purpose within him that we see, you know, fulfill, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the trilogy and beyond. So, Which is interesting is, is what happens to Anakin in the Phantom Menace. You know, his house is the same shape that is, you know, stylistic of Tatooine, but it's the same. It's like, that's the birth of Anakin uh, mm-hmm. becoming force, you know, trained in the force uh, that whom we get to, to know later on. So it's it's kind of the same thing happening too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. You got any final thoughts on that idea, Carl? Or no, not. I mean, I feel like uh, you know, I, I I agree. It is the uh, it's the nurturing space. It's the it's the space mm-hmm. where he can he can grow. And I, well, and I think like just kind of connecting this all back to kind of what you first introduced, Caroline is. Is the reality, though, that all cave spaces, wherever they may be, whatever shape they may take, they're always liminal. Therefore, they can't ever be forever, right? Luke can't mm-hmm. stay in that hut forever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even even if there wasn't a space slug belly that they were parked in on in, in Empire, right? They can't stay there forever. There's still, there's still all these unsettled things to deal with, um, you know, and... Uh, um, but ultimately they needed those spaces to better understand how to enter into the rest of their existence, if that makes sense. Um, and for whatever reason, I just, I kind of keep feeling myself drawn back to the, the cave in, um, in the Exegorth in empire, uh, just cause you know, um, anyone who's listened to the show for a long time, you, I mean, I love the empire strikes back. I could watch that movie every day and, and be very content. Um, but that said, the only part of Empire Strikes Back that I will only ever occasionally fast forward, though, is this scene, because I'm just always like, yeah, whatever. I, I'm not I'm not overly thrilled about the space slug. Um, but for whatever reason, I just keep finding myself in light of this conversation drawn back to that, that this was a place um, that they went to for shelter and it drew things out of themselves they weren't expecting and and they have to leave suddenly you know and it's 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 interesting because it's in this space that han and leia's very clear uh emotional draw to one another is is revealed and then boom they're just right back on the run again so they don't even have the ability to process it and yet it took this at least this quick place of even a brief calm for that to come out, to come to light. And then boom, they're right back into the thing, into the, into the fire, but at least the fire they're about to emerge into, there's a truth that they can bring with them from that cave, which is, 
you know, they're about to go face to face with Darth Vader. Obviously, they don't know that immediately, but when they do, they at least have each other to lean on. Um, and uh, and this cave kind of afforded that to come to light. You know, if if they didn't have that moment of pause and they had just been captured by Vader, I feel like it would have played out very very differently. I mean, I don't think they would have. Mm-hmm. There was no way they were going to win that fight. But but at the same time, like the uh, the emotion of it um, was solidified in that cave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some. Well, huh. I, uh, <laughs> I I think I need to go uh, for a walk under the wide open sky uh, after this conversation. Um, Get out of the depths. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, oh my goodness! Thank oh, you. Oh, me so too. This was this is so fun. Yeah. This. So I, thank you. Well, I have some other ideas if we want to do it again. Uh, I, yeah, so. I, I know we skipped over a lot of things, um, yeah, for the sake of time, but yeah, uh, there's, I mean, there's just, there's so much here and, and I love that you even like just offered up this idea, Caroline, cause it was so awesome to have someone who is actively studying these things and, and their, I mean, just their cultural significance throughout human history <laughs> and how they took shape in star Wars too. was really fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's that's one thing I really enjoy, you know, about Star Wars is that you it's not just a movie. There's so many, you know, theories and re- other research avenues that you can go down to draw connections to. And so that's just my own personal, you know, love is is other cultures. And so I always just try to combine those two things together as much as possible. And I love that you guys are willing to talk about it with me. <laughs> uh. I, you know, I've always been a fan of mythology and, and particularly, you know, Greek, um, mythology, mm-hmm. my, my fascination. Uh, so the fact that you brought all that here today, I was just like, yeah, I was so excited. So <laughs> thank you so much for that. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Carl, before we wrap things up though, to just, you know, abruptly change gears, everyone, yeah. um, we have a, a matchup that we want to present to everybody for next episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and well, in light of this conversation, I'm actually going to throw an audible on you, Jason, um, and change oh, it up. Um, instead of doing uh, a matchup, we're going to do another, would you rather? And okay. uh, th- the question is quite simple. Would you rather face yourself in the cave on Dagobah or face yourself in the mirror cave of Octo? Ooh. So, which okay. cave would you rather spend some self-revelation time in? Dagobah or Octo? All right. Which which version of yourself do you want today? <laughs> um, Where do you want to go to be terrified out of your wits? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Oh, that's a great one. I'm excited about that one. I'm curious to see what people think. Um, and I'm curious to see what I think. I have to think about that one. Uh, <laughs> but... That being said, uh, Carl, if people want to weigh in on, on anything that we've discussed here today um, or, or anything else, where can people get in contact with us? Uh, well, we are, of course, on Twitter at Wampas Lair. You can also follow us on Win- uh, <laughs> Instagram, Instagram at uh, The Wampas Lair. You can always, and you can email us at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. And um, if any of you have any you know, f- future or further questions you want to know more about cave stuff, to to ask to caroline um just let us know and we will pass those questions along and uh and get them answered because we're not the experts that would be caroline 
Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. But yeah, again, Caroline, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for the research you put into this episode. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just super excited to, to hear more about your own academic journey as you continue to, uh, explore caves. <laughs> for sure. Thanks again. It was, it was really fun. It was a pleasure to be on. Excellent. Anything else, Carl, before we close this down? Uh, no. No? Okay. No, thank you. you. You got your boots <laughs> stuck, uh, unstuck from the mud in Dagobah? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, in that case, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 447, Caves in Star Wars. For Carl and Caroline, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. <laughs>